How you guys doing? Uh, my name is Ryan Bowser. I'm the Connections Director here at the church. Uh, after Amber and I got married, um, we spent the next four or five months of our marriage uh, living apart while she, she was up in Wisconsin finishing college. I was down in Georgia for, for army training. It, that wasn't anything new for us because uh, we spent our, our entire dating relationship doing that long distance. But, but what was new was the fact that now I, I was the only uh, married guy with all of my single friends. Uh, and so I remember uh, one night, uh, me and, and the guys, we, we loaded up and we headed down to, to Auburn. Uh, this was pre-Jesus in my life, uh, by the way. I'll just get that out now. Uh, and, and we partied at uh, some, some fraternity houses and, and some sorority houses. Uh, by the end of the night... Uh, most of my buddies decided to uh, stay the night at one of the shorty houses, but not me. Uh, I uh, stayed, uh, I slept outside uh, in my buddy's truck outside of the sorority house. I thought all of that was, was, was pretty responsible, but needless to say, Amber did not share in my enthusiasm. And, and, And I just remember her saying to me, Ryan, Married people don't do that. And I thought, huh. And that was like the first time that, that I realized my life was going to be very different. And the reality is that married life is very different from single life. And I think that, you know, we talk a lot about what married life is like uh, within the church, but, uh, but not so much when it comes to uh, Christian life for uh, those that are single. And we're in this series called Asking for a Friend, where uh, we're, we're, we're taking a look at, you know, some of the questions that uh, maybe you've always wondered about, but you never said out loud. And, and today's question is geared towards uh, single people. And it's, uh, when is God going to bring me the perfect spouse? After all, Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. And then in Genesis 1.18, and God blessed them, meaning uh, the first married couple, Adam and Eve, And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all of creation. So there's this tendency to think that uh, singleness is uh, really just the state of not being married. Because being married and maybe having kids are are kind of wrapped up into the American dream. So so if you're not married, then really that means your your, your primary goal in life uh, should be to to find the right person and get married because because that's what's going to make you happy. But until that happens, you know your your life is is incomplete. It's it's less than. And, and, and maybe for some of you that, that are here today and you're single, you're, you're feeling a lot like that. And yet Jesus would disagree. And, and the Apostle Paul would disagree. Both were single and had lives full of purpose and fulfillment. 
In fact, uh, they had such a high view of, of singleness that, that they basically said, if all things are considered the same, that it's actually better for you to say single because that will give you uh, the, the best chance of wholehearted devotion to God. So that's what we're going to take a look at uh, this morning is uh, how can the Bible challenge our understanding of singleness and help us see singleness as a unique gift from God? But before we dive in, let me let me speak to those of you uh, who are here today and and you're married, Uh, because I I know that uh, when you when you hear that we're going to talk about singleness, that that you think, oh, you know, I'm just going to kind of check out for uh, for the next 30 minutes or so, because, you know, that ain't me. Here's why you should care about about singleness. Uh, First of all, remember, we're all part of the same body of Christ. And, and it's important for single people to understand what life is like for married people. And it's equally important for married people to understand what life is like for single people. And, and like I said, I think as a church, you know, we do a great job of, of investing in uh, our, our married people, but, uh, but we don't always do a great job in investing in our single people. 1 Corinthians 12, 5 says, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Same care just expressed differently for those who are married and those who are single. And so today I want you to, I want you to deeply consider how well you're, you're loving and, and building up the single people in your life. And, and for those that you, of you that, that are married, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, thinking about the messages that, that you're sending uh, your, your single unmarried children, I think that that's important as well. And the second thing is uh, many of you that are married will experience singleness at some point. It, you and your spouse uh, probably aren't going to die at the same time. And I'm not trying to be a, a downer. It's just, it's just a fact. And so for, for at least 50% of you, um, you're going to experience singleness at some point in life. And also, I mean, the reality is that, that unfortunately not all marriages make it to happily ever after. And, 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 and what I can tell you is that uh, the divorce rates inside of the church are about the same as the divorce rates outside of the church. So what we're talking about here today could also apply to you personally at some point during a period of seasonal singleness. Okay, go ahead and grab your Bibles, open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to be starting in verse 8. And as you're doing that, uh, the first thing I want you to see is that when passions burn, be careful where you turn. And to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for you to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than burn with passion. So verse 8, Paul's high view of singleness. I recommend that if you're unmarried or a widow, it's actually a good thing to stay single. And now later on, we'll see why Paul says that it's a good thing to remain single. But in the meantime, verse 8, 
Paul provides one caveat to staying single, that it's probably not a good idea to stay single if you burn with sexual desires. John Calvin's clarification, I think, is helpful. He said, Paul is not speaking about what we might consider normal sexual temptation. And Calvin said, it's one thing to burn, but it's another thing to feel heat. What Paul calls burning here is not merely a slight sensation, but being so aflame with passion that you cannot stand up against it. So Paul doesn't deny human nature that that God created us as sexual beings. Instead, he's being realistic about how sin has damaged our sexuality. And now think about how damaged we're talking about here. Damaged to such a degree that sexual desire can go from normal to nonstop or damaged to to such a degree that what started out as occasional thoughts are now all-consuming. So Paul says to to those that are single, when when your sexual desires burn out of control, that it's better to consider marriage rather than have sex outside of marriage because that's not okay. Uh, That's actually a sin. Why? Because it breaks God's good design for sexuality to be expressed within uh, the, the boundaries and the safety of, of marriage. That, that, that's what we talked about last week. Uh, John Stott was an Anglican cleric and theologian who passed away in 2011. Now, his title was priest, but, it, but not in the sense of what you might think of like, like a Catholic priest who takes a, a vow of celibacy. Anglican priests could, could actually marry. And in fact, uh, John Stott himself almost got married on uh, two different occasions. And yet, ultimately, he chose to spend his entire 90 years of life living as a single heterosexual man. In an interview, he was asked about how he was able to withstand sexual temptation as a single person. And here's what he said. I have to agree both with human sexual desires can be very strong and that they are made stronger still by the pressures of uh, living in a sex-obsessed culture that we have in the West. But we Christians must insist that self-control is possible. We have to learn uh, to control our temper, our tongue, our greed, our jealousy, our pride. Why should it be thought impossible to control our libido? To say that we cannot is is to deny our human dignity and to descend to the level of animals, which are creatures of uncontrolled instinct. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ said that he paid the price for sin when he died on the cross. But more so, remember, he destroyed the power of sin when he rose from the grave three days later. And so that means if you're a Jesus follower, then sin no longer has power over your life. And that's not to say that sexual temptation isn't powerful, but it's just not as powerful as Jesus. 
So if you're a single person here today, don't buy into the lie that self-control isn't possible because the gospel says it's possible. And people like John Stott's life shows us that it's possible. But the reality is we do live in a culture that is obsessed with sex. And so it's not easy to be a single person. And to that end, Paul says that if your passions really are burning, then get married because it's better to do that than to sin sexually outside of marriage. Next, let's go ahead. Let's skip down to verse 25. Now, Paul's gonna, he's gonna start out by addressing all of us first and, and then he's gonna directly speak again to singles. And here's the first thing he has to say to all of us. Don't allow fantasy to replace reality. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. So Paul starts off by addressing single, pe- uh, single persons. Uh, that's what he means when he says betrothed. He's using the Greek word for virgin, which translates to young people of marriageable age. Okay. Then he addresses uh, married people. And then he addresses uh, people who are engaged to be married, but but he's basically saying the exact same three exact same thing to all three types of people. He's saying stop fantasizing about what you don't have and start living in the reality of what you do have. Let me give you an example. Uh, when you when you're single, the tendency is to fantasize about the intimacy of marriage, about the companionship of marriage, about, about having that special connection with someone. And then conversely, when, when you're married, you know, the tendency is to, to fantasize about the freedom of, of singleness, about having uh, less responsibilities and having more autonomy in life. And it's kind, of like that, it's kind of like that old saying, the grass is always greener on the other side, right? But Paul says the key here for both single people and married people is found in the reality of verse 26. There's a present distress, meaning there's an impending crisis going on right now. So what, what crisis is Paul talking about? He's talking about the second coming of Jesus. In other words, Paul says to single people uh, that are asking God, when, when you ask God, when are you going to bring me, uh, you know, Mr. Right or Mrs. Right? That's, that's the wrong question. The better question is, in light of the reality that, that Jesus could come back to earth at any moment, how should I leverage my singleness for the sake of the gospel? And Paul doesn't, he doesn't let marriage, uh, married people off the hook either. He says to married people, you know, if you've ever wondered, did, did I really marry the right person? Or uh, maybe my life would be, would be better off if I was single. You're, you're asking the wrong question. 
The better question is, how can I leverage my marriage for the sake of the gospel? As a result, Paul makes this next point. Don't allow reality to replace priority. He continues, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Again, verse 29, Paul references the appointed time of Jesus coming back to earth. So the time has grown very short. It may not always feel that way, but what it does mean is that it could happen at any minute now. So there's a sense of urgency in Paul's message to us. It's the kind of urgency that, that should make you and I step back and reevaluate our priorities. Because our reality tends to be whatever is staring at us six inches in front of our face. So you're going to be preoccupied with, with your family, or you're going to be, you're going to be preoccupied with day-to-day -day life. That's, that's reality. But Paul says, don't let your earthly reality replace kingdom priority. And kingdom priority means Jesus could come back to earth at any moment. And so that's not to say that, that worldly problems and responsibilities don't matter. They're just not ultimate. And to that extent, Paul says, now singleness provides unique opportunities to focus on the kingdom of God compared to being married. And the first one is this, singleness allows less distraction to your devotion. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man now is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And the reality here is, is when you're married or, or, or even married with kids, your attention is divided. And Paul's not saying that's a bad thing. It's just a real thing. Your time is not your own. Listen, I can't even go to the bathroom in my house without somebody trying to come in. <laughs> Singleness, though, means that, that you're free from distractions. You don't, have to, you don't have to worry about anybody but yourself. That's, that's a blessing. And there's nobody telling you how to spend your time or how to spend your money or how to spend your energy. But now our culture says to singleness, well, that means you should just live your best life. You can, you can party all night long. You can, you can throw yourself into your work. You can, you can sleep with whoever it is you want because it's not hurting anyone. 
And yet many of you here today can, can, can attest to, uh, by personal experience that, that living that way leaves you feeling empty and, and unsatisfied. Does it not? But biblical singleness means you have a freedom to pursue God in such a manner that is simply not available to married people. And singles can, can come and go with their time in a way that often people, uh, oftentimes married people cannot. And singles can, can use their resources in ways that oftentimes married people cannot. And this leads us to our second point about singleness. Singleness allows for greater opportunity to your devotion. And Paul says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Less distraction, greater time flexibility, and the ability to use your resources uniquely all set the stage for singles to be in the best possible position for undivided devotion to God. Paul doesn't, he doesn't make it a requirement to be single. And he's not even saying, hey, you know, uh, single people are, are the most godly people. He's not saying that either. But he is saying that singleness is a unique gift because, because it allows single people the opportunity to solely focus on God. Here's how Paul closes this section on singleness. It's that godly intentions should help guide your singleness status. If, Paul, uh, if anyone thinks he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. And so then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. And Paul says, biblical signalness, it means a couple things. Uh, verse 37, firmly established in heart. It means you're asking God, how can I leverage my singleness to build the kingdom for your glory? And desires are under control. It means, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not ignoring them. I'm not, I'm not pretending like my sexual desires don't exist. But, but, but what I am saying is that, is that I have the power of Jesus Christ in me. So that means that I won't allow sexual temptations to dominate my thought life. Why? Because I've determined in my heart to be single. So that means I'm, I'm free to pursue things like, like godly friendships with other singles, especially those of the opposite sex. Because what I care more, most about is building them up rather than trying to hook up. And let me, let me offer a few suggestions about, about how I think we can apply uh, Paul's message to us about singleness. And the first one is this. We need to celebrate singleness. That, that, that's a big attitude shift, isn't it? 
And Paul shows us that singleness is a gift, not a curse. Unfortunately, the the message I hear time and time again from my single friends is that that sometimes they, they feel like it's a curse. And I think that our responsibility as a church family is is to come around them and and to lift up our single brothers and sisters and and to celebrate uh, the amazing gifts that they have to offer. But how do we do that? Well, I think at least one way maybe we can start doing that is you need to stop trying to to set up uh, and play matchmaker for your single friends. And and, and being serious. Because here's what happens when you try to play matchmaker. You're telling your single friend that being single is actually less than. And then what your single friend uh, hears you saying is that I'm actually not enough for you. My life, my value, what I have to offer isn't enough for you. And maybe there's even more to it. Uh, maybe maybe uh, when, when, we're, when we're playing matchmaker to our single friends, maybe what that actually is saying is that, is that you don't actually believe that Jesus is enough. You don't believe that, that Jesus is enough to satisfy and to sustain and to comfort. And so that's why you just recommend that people get married. And the second is this, we need to reimagine biblical community. You know what single people tend to struggle with most? It's loneliness. And what they, what they deeply desire is close, intimate, godly friendships. And, and I think it's a good start um, when, when you invite your, your single friends over for dinner and to, and to spend time with, with you and, 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 your, and your family. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's great to say things like, hey, you know, our house, my house, our house is open to you anytime you want to come over and hang out. But let me tell you something. It's even better when you initiate time with your single friends. Because for them, 95% of the time, they're the ones that have to initiate with their time with their married friends. I, I think maybe another a good starting point for, for us as a church is, uh, is we need uh, life groups to be as welcoming to our single people as they are to our married people. What we don't necessarily need is just to have separate life groups for uh, our, our single people. Because, because remember, in life groups, we are studying the same word of God together. It's the same word just applied differently. It's the same care for one another applied differently, but we're doing it together. And finally, let me, let me speak to those of you that that are here today and are single. You need to create an inspiring vision of what wholehearted devotion to Jesus means for your life. Ben Stewart wrote a book called Single, Dating, Engaged, Married, where he had this to say about singleness. God has ordained a season of singleness for every human being on the planet. 
And singleness does not exist simply as an extended adolescence, a pursuit of career ambition, or a preparatory phase for marriage. Rather, God has ordained the unique freedoms of single life, not for distractions or ambitions, but for devotions to him. And for my single uh, brothers and sisters, then how are you uniquely positioned to follow Jesus right now? And are you, are you drawing life from God or, or are, you, are you getting distracted by other things in life that quite frankly, don't have very much eternal significance? Are there, are there people that God has placed in your life that, that you know you need to get to know better and to invest in on a much more deeper level? This is how you develop intimate relationships and friendships. This is how you battle loneliness. This is how you fight back against the lie that sexual intimacy is the only cure for loneliness. Here's, here, here's the point. Unless you have an inspiring vision of how you plan to live your single life devoted to Jesus, then singleness to you is always going to feel like a curse. It's, it's, it's always going to feel like an incomplete life. But I want you to remember, your singleness is an incredible gift from God. And now you just need to decide what it is that you're going to do with that gift. And, 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 as, and as a church family, I'll tell you, we, we want to come around you and we want to help you and we want to we support you because we love you. And, and we, don't, we don't always do a great job of, of doing that. And so, and so we, we need some grace from you on that. But man, I'm telling you, we are all in with you if you'll let us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, today I pray uh, specifically for our single brothers and sisters. I pray for their devotion to you. I pray for, I pray for their sexuality. I pray that, uh, that uh, their temptations don't, don't burn to the point where they do something that dishonors you. And Father, I pray for, uh, for all of us as a church family that, that we can come around our single people, that we can love them, that we can support them, that, that, that we can do all those things to help them better pursue you. Because Father, I think that's something that we as a church often fall short and we need your forgiveness for that. And Father, I pray that as we leave out today, that, that our single brothers and sisters feel the weight and responsibility of, of using their singleness in devotion to you. And I pray that all that we do brings honor and glory to your name. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.